came uh, from a man who had this testimony that he was with one of the Mercy Relief ships. It goes, travels internationally, I think, the Delos. And um, uh, he was, uh, his uh, ship was stationed, or not stationed, but was tied up at the dock in Copenhagen, Denmark, for to be uh, refueled and uh, refilled with supplies and all of that. And it just so happened I was in Copenhagen that weekend doing some meetings and conferences. But that particular Saturday, um, if you've ever been in the downtown walking street of Copenhagen, it's a famous walking street, cobblestone, old, old buildings. It goes about a mile or so and then opens up in a huge plaza. And you can fit, you know, a couple hundred thousand people there if you have to. But uh, the five churches we were doing the conference with had arranged to do live worship there on a Saturday morning with the people from uh, bands from the churches. And then I was uh, 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 preaching the gospel for about 15, 20 minutes and then prayed for people. And so we, this testimony was sent in about five years ago from uh, this uh, Saturday that took place way back around 1993, I think. And he said, uh, my, my boat, the Mercy Relief ship, was docked there, and we had the day off, I and some friends of mine. And we were just walking along the walking street there, and we came to the plaza, and there you were, an American preaching the gospel. And he said, so I and my friends, we stood on the outskirts of the crowd and just quietly prayed that people would respond to the Lord, get saved, etc. And he said, uh, as the meeting began to wind down, he said, you and the team with you began to walk through the crowd and just began to pray with certain people. And he said, you came up to me and you said, I have a prophetic word for you. And he said, um, he said, I wasn't against prophecy, but in the church I went to, we never had prophecy. I didn't know what to think of it and never experienced it. So I said, okay. And he said, uh, you said over me, there is a call upon you to preach the gospel to thousands and thousands and thousands of people in Africa. And this is going to be a very important part of your life. And then you prayed for me. And he said, I didn't have any concept or context for putting this in perspective. He said, I'm not an evangelist. Um, uh, that's not how I serve God. I serve God behind the scenes in practical ways. I've never really been to Africa except some of the ports of call where we've dropped off uh, relief supplies. And he said, I just didn't know what to think of it. But he said, I, I wrote the word down later on. And he said, for 15 years, I prayed into the word. And uh, he said, about five years ago, I received an invitation from a Christian friend of mine who I hadn't seen for a long time that had moved to Uganda to start a church there. And he said, we're doing a gospel crusade, and I feel like you're supposed to come and speak. So he's been praying into this word for 15 years. How many of you would say that's a long time? Abraham and Sarah had a word that lasted decades before fulfillment. And they thought, you know, if they'd missed it because they're past the point of childbearing. But anyway, he said, you know, when I got this invitation, I thought, I've been praying into this for 15 years. I better just go do it. It's interesting, the Gospels, how many times it said they did these things in fulfillment of prophecy. So he ends up in Uganda. He's never really been to the interior of Africa before. And he's thinking, okay, there's... My friend's church, he's thinking it's probably not very big. There's maybe going to be two, 250 people. 
there were like 10 or 12,000 people there. And, you know, he's a little bit out of his element here, but he preached the gospel. Thousands got saved, and there were healings and miracles that happened. And he said that was five years ago. Today, we've established our own ministry, working alongside a number of churches in Uganda. And he said, I've done over a dozen crusades in Africa. We've, in Uganda, we've seen over 100,000 people come to Christ. And I, I love this story because even though from his experience and what he knew of himself, it seemed so far-fetched, but yet he took it and prayed into it. It's important to understand, especially in this age of quick-fix, instant information, you know, where we kind of treat the thing of things of God like McDonald's, you know, run in, eat, and run out. But God is not into fast food. Hallelujah. <laughs> He's into good meals that take a, ton, a while to prepare. And so often what God speaks into our life, it may not happen next week or next month. Sometimes things do happen quickly, but oftentimes they're years ahead. And it's a lot like Mary, when she saw the things happening with the young boy Jesus, she treasured those things in her heart. And what that means is when you get a prophetic word that really touches something in your heart, really key to you, uh, resist the temptation to blab it to your 5,000 best friends on Facebook. (coughs) Treat it, you know, do what Mary did, treasure it. Write it down, you know, I don't know whether you keep a prayer journal or not, but write it down, hang on to it. Maybe tell a few key people, a couple leaders in your life that you trust if it just seems could this really be? But then pray and pray into it and see what the Lord does. You see, a prophetic word most of the time in New Testament Christianity, which there is no other kind of Christianity, but most, (laughs) despite what some people think, (laughs) but just want to see if you're awake. But most of the time in New Testament Christian living, prophecy does not make things happen. Prophecy is primarily conditional. Maybe about 5% of all prophecy today is a sovereign word, God saying, I am going to do this. And I could talk about that if we were teaching on prophecy. But most of it is conditional upon our obedience, believing God. And when a prophetic word comes, it's like a seed. You hold the seed in your hand, and even though it could be a seed for a corn plant, you know, you plant it, a, a corn plant comes up, an ear of corn develops, that one seed can turn into anywhere from 250 to over 900 future seeds or kernels there. But even though it may involve such dramatic multiplication, when you're holding the seed in your hand, it doesn't look like very much, does it? It looks like a small piece of dead wood. But you plant it, you give it water, you give it nutrition, And over time, this miracle takes place. I mean, think about it. Most of you just had some bread. We just had all sorts of things that grow, you know. But it all starts with the seed. It doesn't look very appealing. doesn't look very nourishing. But when you receive prophetic word, it's like that seed. You plant it in your heart. And just like the prophet said, do not despise the days of small beginnings. That when things first begin to unfold with the prophetic word, it may just be these small baby steps. But as you're obedient in the small things, it's like giving nourishment to the soil 
that you've planted that seed in, and you water it by praying into it. And here this guy, for 15 years, he prayed into this word, and then all of a sudden, this incredible thing takes place, and his whole life was changed. And in his life, it'd be uh, dramatically evident God had more for him than his eyes had seen, his ears had heard, more than could enter into his understanding. And specifically, I want to talk about your name. And, you know, God is uh, very, very particular about everything he does. And names uh, are critical. The name of John the Baptist, for example. You know the story that uh, John and Elizabeth, a lot like uh, Abraham and Sarah, were in their older years, past the age of childbearing. But uh, John had that visitation from the, uh, 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 not John the Baptist, but um, Zechariah, thank you. Zechariah had that visitation from the angels. He's ministering in the temple and uh, said that a a child is going to be born to you, one who will prepare the way for the Messiah. And, you know, he, he was just so blown away by this, he asked the wrong question. When Gabriel, the same angel, visited Mary, Mary asked the right question. She said, how is this going to happen? Zechariah asked the wrong question. How do I know for sure this is going to happen? He responded by saying, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of the Lord. Don't mess with me. Well, he didn't necessarily say the last part, but it was implied. (laughs) And he said, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of the Lord. And, and that, there's a key there. That's where our authority really comes from, from spending time in the presence of the Lord. But he said, because you've heard it, but you've doubted, you're going to see it, but you're not going to be able to speak for nine months. So for nine months, he was dumb, you know. And finally, uh, and Gabriel had said his name shall be called John. And so finally the baby's born, and Zechariah is still unable to speak. But they're saying, what's his name going to be? And in the Hebrew culture, it was customary that they would always name a male child after someone in the lineage. And John indicated, he wrote on a tablet, his name should be called John. And they said, you can't name him John. There's nobody in your family. They said, no, his name should be called John. And he had to be called John because John means grace as the forerunner, as a transition from the law to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the cross. And all of a sudden, his mouth was open. He began praising God. It was a sign of wonder to the people. But God was very particular about that name. My, uh, As I shared uh, last night, my wife and I moved from San Diego to Toronto in 92. And uh, that May of 92, I prophesied in late 93, late early 94, this move of the Spirit's going to begin. It began to take place the third weekend of January 1994. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, our little church, about 250 at the time, we're just being bombarded with people. You know, six nights a week we're having meetings. And first it started off with about 300 people, and then 600 and 900 at the peak. We were getting... 1,500 people six nights a week, and we get four or 5,000 people for these conferences. It was just nonstop. People were coming from all over the globe. Normally, <laughs> what's that? It does that. It's got a life of its own, huh? 
So, where were we? So normally, I travel about 120, sometimes 130, 140 days a year. But because things were popping all over the globe, I mean, just unprecedented things. Like, I remember uh, a few months after things broke out in Toronto, doing a conference in Stockholm, Sweden, and they had to do something in this church they had never had to do before. They had to lock the doors because there were so many people in there. It was become a fire hazard, and they had to lock people out. I remember one conference, there was a whole busload of people that had come, taken the ferry across from Finland to the conference, and they got there a little bit late. They got locked out, and they were angry because they couldn't, for the life of them, believe in Sweden. There'd be so many people in a church, they <laughs> couldn't let anybody. But that, things were just happening like crazy. And so yeah, that year in 1994, and I think in 95, I probably traveled close to seven months. That was just almost killed me. But my, my poor wife there in Toronto, about just a few months before the move of the Spirit began, we'd moved into a larger house. And it was the strangest thing. We didn't know why we ended up in this large house. It literally had six bedrooms in it, you know, and we were a family of... My wife and I are two daughters, you know, but we, we felt we were supposed to move into this. And then all of a sudden the move of the Spirit begins, and pastors and leaders I know from all over the globe are calling me up and saying, hey, we've heard about the move of the Spirit. We're coming to Toronto. I said, well, that's great. And they said, well, we've got enough money for the plane ticket for food, but we don't know if we can afford a hotel. And I said, well, pray more. <laughs> and so, you know, I took the hint. So a lot of them, we uh, allow them to stay at our house, and literally for uh, probably over a year, not entirely nonstop, but almost nonstop, we had people staying from us, guests from South Africa, from England, from Europe, just all over the place, friends of mine and ministry and things like that. But in the midst of this, I'm traveling all over the globe, and my wife has been a mother and helping me with my administration, and she's got guests nonstop. And then in February of 94, I think it was, uh, she became pregnant with our third child. So there she is doing all this work, being a mom, I'm gone so much, and she's got nonstop guests, and she's pregnant. And so we were so busy, um, you know, we didn't even have time to talk about the name of the child. And we really, we chose not to know whether it was going to be a boy or a girl. And... Um, the baby was due in about three weeks, and I was flying home on a Monday from London after doing some meetings, I think, in London area, flying home to Toronto. And I talked to my wife before I got on the plane, and she said, I've just been to the doctor, and the doctor said the baby could come any day now. And I said, no, the baby cannot come any day because I was going to arrive home uh, that same day, Monday, I think it was, but we were having a prophetic conference starting on Thursday that I was in charge of. And I kid you not, we had close to 5,000 people booked for this conference. Now, that sounds exciting, but what that means to me is a whole lot of headaches. I was speaking at the con- one of three or four speakers, but also I was in charge of it. And my wife says, the baby could come any day. I said, no, the baby cannot come any day. The baby's got to wait to the appointed time. Well... I get home, she picks me up at the airport, and that night, about uh, 3 or 4 in the morning, her water breaks, I rush her off, and end up having the baby uh, that morning. But 
uh, we had not known when it was going to be a boy or a girl, and we've been so busy just all over the map that year, we hadn't even talked about potential names. But our first two children were daughters, and I'd always told my wife, if we ever had a boy, I wanted to name him Dylan. And so my wife, she's just had this baby, gone through the whole thing, been up all night, you know, and, and uh, the doctor pulls out this baby boy and says, what's his name? And uh, I'm about to say his name is Dylan. And the Holy Spirit interrupted me and said, you name him David after King David. And so I said, his name is David. My wife's on the bed. I'm like, really? <laughs> so um, the conference ended uh, seven days later, uh, something like that. And it's, in our family, it's a tradition for the men to be circumcised. So we arranged on the eighth day to take him to a Jewish doctor in Toronto who was the foremost doctor that did circumcisions of both uh, the Hebrew children but also uh, Islamic baby boys. And so we take him in on the eighth day, and there we are doing this. And uh, I'm looking forward to watching this like a frontal lobotomy, you know. And the doctor uh, says, normally with Hebrew children, we dip a towel in a bottle of red wine and let the child pacify on that. Do you want us to do that? I said, well, I don't know about him, but if I'm going to watch this, I can use the whole <laughs> bottle right now, you know. I said, okay, let's do that. And he's about to do that, and he says, isn't his name David? I said, yes. And he said, well, this is King David Wine from Jerusalem. And we have seen over the years, my son will be 25 now in November, this coming November, I've seen over the years how he really is a David. I'm not talking about David the giant killer or David the warrior. Uh, but when you really read about the life of David, he was a man who had compassion even on his enemies, even at times on those who cursed him. And we began to notice, especially in junior high and high school, uh, my son, you know, um, he would notice kids in school that were outcasts, that were loners, that were struggling with isolation, and he would befriend those kids. He would include them. He would spend time with them. And like King David the Bible, who was a prophet, our son is very prophetic. He gets words of knowledge and loves to pray for people and things like that. And my wife and I have realized that God knew exactly what he was doing, obviously, in telling us to name him David. And I think about uh, my two, first two names, uh, or, or uh, my first and last name, Mark Dupont. Mark in English means a builder, but Dupont in French it means a bridge. And I've noticed over the years God has used me to bring a lot of leaders, sometimes of different churches in the same city who have never had anything to do with each other, to bring them sometimes into unity and all sorts of things like that. And that, that was a prophetic name for my life. In Revelation 2, verse 17, Jesus said, To he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone to which no one knows but he who receives it. And that white stone, in a sense, is a picture of Jesus himself, the rock of our salvation. But you have a name in Christ Jesus that has not yet been revealed to you that is prophetic in that it is symbolic of the personality, calling, and destiny God has for you. 
And so much of this time on earth, whether you live 60, 70, 80, 100 years old, is the unfolding, the unpackaging of this adventure of discovering who you are in Christ and coming into your destiny, the will of God. In Genesis 17, uh, Abram and Sarah are having one of their uh, several encounters with the presence of the Lord. And it says in Genesis 17, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am God Almighty. And God Almighty in the Hebrew, as most of you know, is El Shaddai. This is, which, this is the first time that we know of, anyway, the first time in the Bible, and as far as we know, the first time that Abram or the people of God had ever heard this name of God. And as you know, the names of God are indicative of the characteristics of God and how he works in his life. And he says, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face, and God spoke with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. And then he said, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but you shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. So we see two new names there in the life of Abram. First, God is giving him a new name from Abram to Abraham, and God, speaking of himself, gave this new name of El Shaddai. Abram and Sarah at that point, they were successful in almost every area of life except having children. They were very, very wealthy. They had many servants. They had a huge following. Abraham, Abram even had his own private army to protect him. And the name Abram, it means exalted father. He was exalted, respected, wealthy, prestigious in every area of life except one, the most important one to them. They'd had no children. And here is this promise that their children will be multiplied and he will be the father of nations. Exalted father. But here with this revelation of God and this new name of God and this name change for him, God says of himself, you need to be, says to him, you need to think about me and yourself differently, so to speak. El Shaddai, God Almighty. But when you break it down and you go to the Hebrew word for Shad, what it really means is the breasted one. How was Abram, a man in his 90s, a very sophisticated, wealthy, prestigious man, how was he supposed to think about this of God himself saying, you're to look upon me as the breasted one? It didn't have anything to do with uh, feminine or anything like that or masculine. But between an infant and a nursing mother, there is a very unique relationship. Today, for mothers that cannot nurse or children that do not have a mother, babies that don't have a mother, there's formula. But, you know, that's something very recent. That's just a blip on the, on the scale of, on the, uh, in history. 
that up until uh, recent times, if an infant could not have a nursing mother, that infant would die because there is unique nutrition that the infant can only get from the mother. It's a very not only intimate relationship, but it's a very unique relationship. And if the baby does not get that specific nutrition, the baby will die. God, in essence, was saying to this very wealthy, sophisticated, highly respected, exalted man, you need to begin to think about me differently, and you need to realize that like a nursing babe, you are going to have to get all of your nutrition, what feeds you, from me if you're going to go to the next level. Hello. I want to say to you there's a parallel there that when God is calling us to another level of fruitfulness, effectiveness, and fulfillment in life, we need to come to a greater level of dependency upon God. Because sometimes, even though we don't mean to, there's things from our past or habits we've picked up along the way that we lean into. Another word for that is idolatry. (laughs) Idolatry means to derive your comfort from anyone other than the person of God. For some of you, that could be from watching your favorite football team. Wow, I just stepped on some toes there, didn't I? I'm not saying we can't enjoy those things, but for many people, including many Christians, when they're in a time of stress or anxiety, they have a default mode. It could be entertainment, it could be sports, it could be an activity. Uh, Motorcycling's okay, but... (laughs) But it could be food for some people, but there's things they lean into rather than leaning into the person of God. And I believe God, in giving this new name to Abram, but also changing his name, was indicating if he was really going to come into the promises of God, had to be become more like a child Not childish, but childlike in his reliance upon God. But also, even as Abram means exalted father, Abraham means literally what God said to him, the father of a multitude. He had to stop thinking of himself, of I'm the great man, I'm the exalted father. A... uh, A friend of mine a few years ago was speaking at a church in London, a Jamaican-based church in London. And uh, a couple of the brothers picked him up for one of the meetings at the hotel, and they were a little bit late picking him up. And you all know London traffic. It's infamous all over the world. So they're late in getting the speaker to the meeting. And they're kind of like uh, two lanes each direction going down this road. And they've got a nice, I think you said they were driving a nice uh, Range Rover, 4x4, rather big vehicle. Traffic's just, uh, what's this crazy phrase you have here? Chock-a-block? It makes no sense to me whatsoever, you know. (laughs) But anyway, it's, it's bumper to bumper. No one's moving. And the driver of the Range Rover looks over, and in this set of houses over there, there's this kind of kind of a road. It's more a pedestrian path than anything else, a little bit wider than most pedestrian paths. 
And so he gets the idea, you know, he's in a Range Rover, he hops a curb, drivers some grass, starts driving down this pedestrian path, trying to pass up cars for a couple of blocks. But the guy sitting next to him in shotgun looks and sees that all of a sudden that pedestrian path is getting very narrow. There's some street lights there. And in classic Jamaican fashion, the guy riding shotgun looks over to him and says, small yourself up, mom, small yourself up. (laughs) And I, I think there's a time at which God says to us, you need to small yourself up here before the Almighty. In Job, I think it's 42, when God, Job really begins to come out of everything and gets a whole fresh revelation of God. And he says, I've heard of you with my ears, but now I see you with my eyes. He also says, I have made myself small before you. And I think we all want to experience more resurrection power in our life. But sometimes the only way to experience more resurrection power is for a greater embracing of the cross. And Abram had to stop thinking of himself as the exalted father figure and start thinking about himself as a father of a multitude and realize, you know, the battle belongs to the Lord. Does this make sense here? And I think that there are certain things such as prayer, maybe worship could go in this category, certain things that at times we all look upon as things we have to do or should do. But God wants to bring us to the point where we realize prayer is not a got to, but it's a get to. It's a privilege to spend time. And like that infant that derives that life and death nutrition from the mother's milk, Abram had to learn to have a greater dependency to get what he needed straight from God rather than his, I don't know, being exalted or anything else. In Numbers chapter 13, Moses gathers the 12 spies who are going to cross the Jordan and spy out the land, and he he names all of them. And it says in verse 17, these are the names of the men whom Moses sent out to spy out the land, But Moses called Hosea, the son of Nun, Joshua. He changed his name. You see, the name Hosea, it means deliverer, meaning I'm the man of God. I'm going to deliver these people. I'm going to accomplish something. But Joshua means the Lord delivers. And in order for Joshua to become Joshua... He had to stop thinking of himself as I'm the deliverer, I'm the great man of God. And he had to realize it's God. It's all about him. uh, I've been telling you some prophecies about uh, people who have gone through dramatic changes in their life. And uh, I want to tell you one. I'm sure I've told this before. I've told this all over the world. Uh, It it happened way back in 1993 in Toronto, and I didn't even find out about this until about five years ago. I mentioned last night uh, the church near Nashville, Tennessee, where we had that outpouring of God's glory back in January. Well, one of the uh, associate pastors there, names are Alan and AJ, 
And I was speaking at a conference there a number of years ago, about five years ago, and A.J., she introduced me, and she told me this, told this testimony to the whole crowd there. And when she was done, I wanted to slap her and say, why didn't you tell me this in 1993 or 94 when it happened? That, uh, like I said, I didn't know any of this, but in 1992 and 93, when we were first in Toronto, before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit began, I used to do a special Sunday night meeting once a month that would be uh, worship the Word and then praying for people, kind of like a Holy Spirit uh, blowout once a month. And one night, it was uh, late in the meeting, the worship was over, I was about halfway through the message, and uh, there's very few seats available, it wasn't a room nearly this big, Uh, but uh, two ladies walk in, one about 22 years old and a lady about 40, and the only seats open are kind of like in the middle there, and you know how it is when you get late and you have to sit up there, everybody's looking at you, so they're a little bit embarrassed, but they find their way in. And then it got worse because I, uh, I stopped my message and I pointed at the younger of the two women and I said, what's your name? And she's embarrassed and said, my name is AJ. And I said to her, AJ, this is what the Lord says to you. Stop looking for your dad. He's gone, but you're now going to begin to find God as your father. And, and then the second thing I said is, if you're going to throw your life away, why not throw in the hands of Jesus to see what he wants to do with it? And that was it. I finished saying that, and then I went back into the message. Well, she's angry at the woman who brought her because she thinks the woman who has brought her to the meeting has called me before the meeting started and told me about her. I, I had never seen A.J. before, didn't know her from anybody. Uh, A.J. at 21, 22 She had already tried to commit suicide three times in her life. The first time she tried to commit suicide, she was seven years old. She grew up in an incredibly dysfunctional family. Her uh, father was never available for the kids. And her mom was a raging alcoholic, couldn't take care of the kids. Excuse me. So AJ grew up just with all sorts of issues. She was suicidal, had deep depression. She also had severe stomach problems. She was uh, bulimic. And and on top of that, she had insomnia. And approximately six months before this meeting on this Sunday night, she'd walked into her father's office and found that her father had put a bullet through his head. And her mother was so dysfunctional that... A.J. had to be the one to go with the police to the morgue and officially identify the body. A.J. had to deal with the lawyers and all of that. A.J. even literally had to clean the blood off the walls of her father's office. And A.J. begins to have a break with reality. Um, She's just over the top now. And about a week before this meeting, she'd been walking in a, a shopping mall in downtown Toronto, just living life like a zombie. And she thought down at the other end of the mall, down the aisle, she thought she saw her dad. And she literally, this 22-year-old woman, goes running through the mall yelling, Daddy, 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 only to catch up with this man. And, of course, it's not her father. She collapsed on the floor in tears. She was literally carried out by security, just carried out in tears out of the shopping mall. So she's got all this stuff going on. She's having this break with reality. And I give her this word, 
that your dad is gone, stop looking for him, but you're going to begin to find God as your father. And also, if you're going to throw your life away, put it in the hands of Jesus. See what he'll do with it. She's angry. As I said, she thought her friend had called me, told me about her. So she sits in the rest of the meeting, just kind of white-knuckle, gripping the chair in front of her. And kind of ministering the spirit, she had never been exposed to that. She'd only come a few times to our church. And during the ministry time, I invited a certain number of people to come up. I invited her to come up, but she um, refused to come up. She was just so outside of her element. But later on, as we were praying for the crowd, she said, Mark, you went walking down the aisle on about four seats away from you. She said, I couldn't for the life of me understand what was happening. But I began to uncontrollably slide out of my seat and I ended up in the floor. And I can't get up off the floor. But what's worse, she said, I started laughing loudly and I could not stop laughing. And, you know, you know, after the Toronto outpouring began, there was laughter breaking out in churches all over. But it wasn't that rare of occurrence, you know, about a year before. And she's thinking, what in the world is wrong with the people in these church? I'm having a mental breakdown. I'm stuck on the floor, and I'm laughing in church. They need to be calling an ambulance. I need to be locked up in a side cord. What's wrong with these people? And she couldn't stop laughing for half an hour, 45 minutes. And finally, when she was able to get up off the floor, most of the people had left the meeting, she said, from that point on, I have never suffered depression again. My stomach was healed. I was set free from the insomnia. She said, I really got done with the Lord and church. And uh, in 1995, our church started the ministry school. She was one of the first, uh, um, first year students, I think, in the ministry school. Later on, she became uh, one of the leaders in the school. And uh, she ended up marrying a guy from Scotland, of all places. So there is hope. Um, Today, she and her husband, they're associate pastors, church in Nashville. They have three wonderful children. And she and her husband have preached about the Father heart of God in over 20 nations. Her whole life got turned around, and it started with a process that she really didn't understand. But this prophetic word coming to her that God's going to begin to teach you about his fathering in your life. And if you're going to throw your life away, see what Jesus wants to do with it. And if someone could have told her at that point in time, 20 years later, 25 years later, you're going to have preached in over 20 countries and be used powerfully by the Lord and have a wonderful marriage and three kids, you know, it would have just been unbelievable where she was at that point in life. But this is the heart of God. You see, he doesn't just want to heal us of our problems. He wants to launch us into the unique destiny he created each of us to walk in. Are you still alive? John chapter 1 has uh, probably one of the very first encounters that Peter had with Jesus. He's brought by his brother to meet Jesus. And it says his brother first found his own brother, Simon, And said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. So Jesus looks at him. And before Peter or Simon can say anything at all, Jesus prophesies over him. He speaks into his destiny 
And he says, you are Simon, the son of John, but you shall be called Cephas. The word Simon or Peter in the original language, it has connotations of being weak, one rather frail, one rather easily bent. Remember what Isaiah said, prophesied, he will not blow out the flickering wicks. He will not break the bruised reeds. If you've ever seen a bruised reed, the inner core is broken and it's just hanging over by the outer sheath. And that's a picture, really, of a lot of people. They're just barely hanging on. Inwardly, they may be shattered. They're just barely hanging on with the outward things. But before Peter can say a word to Jesus... Jesus looks at him and calls him into his destiny. Right now, you're called Simon, one rather weak. But when I'm done with you, you're going to be called Cephas. And Cephas means almost the exact opposite. The root of Cephas means like a rock. And the exact opposite of weak and frail, strong, unshakable. And really, he's saying, You're going to be a picture of me because I am the rock of salvation. Jesus knew that three years down the road, on the night of Jesus' arrest, he knew that Peter would betray him. He knew that Peter would deny him three times the night of his arrest. He knew all that. Just as when you gave your life to Christ Jesus, God knew the times you would fail him or not live up to, you know, what his expectations are. But God sees past that. I'm not saying he ignores that. One of my favorite statements about God is he loves us just the way we are, but he loves us too much to let us stay the way we are. So he recognizes our current issues, but he always deals with our current issues from a redemptive posture rather than a punishing posture. Does that make sense? There are some Christians that like to think, oh, when a Christian sins, God doesn't even see the sin. That didn't work out too well for Ananias and Sapphira, did it? (laughs) God does see our sins, but he gives us a grace to call us into repentance, to call us into restoration, to call us into healing. I love what it says in Hebrews 12 that when God chastises us, he does it as a loving father. And although it may seem difficult at the night, joy comes in the morning because he brings his purposes for fulfillment in our life. And so Jesus was not ignoring the fact that Peter would deny him. And actually, if we go three years down the road... Jesus actually addressed that, didn't he, when he, Peter uh, came to him and Jesus was on the beach. And he said, Peter, do you love me more than these, meaning the fish? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love me. And he said a second time, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. He said to him third time. And really he was rebuking in a gentle way Peter for the three times that Peter denied him. But Jesus did not focus on the issue. He saw past that, and he saw the day when Peter, along with James and John, would emerge, as Paul described them, as the three apostolic pillars of the church. And in point of fact, even though Peter denied the Lord those three times, and I'd have rest, just several weeks later, 
on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit fell. It was Peter who preached the gospel that day, and thousands got saved, and the church began. And so in his very first meeting, Jesus is prophesying a new name about him. God has a name for you right now that you don't completely understand. I've, I've said this a couple of times, referred to Romans 8:29, but it reads, "For those whom God foreknew, meaning us, He also predestined <coughs> to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers." And that the will of God is for you tonight to grow up and be that living reflection of Christ Jesus, conformed to his image. And as we look at the incredible things Jesus did, he said, the things that I do, you shall do also. The works that I do, you shall do also. (coughs) And so we've got to be freed up from this perspective that we're just here to somehow survive or even just have a blessed life and then we're going to heaven. We are here, (coughs) excuse me, we are here, as Paul said, to be more than conquerors. And where once it is true we may have been victims, that is not your destiny. That is not your calling. God loves us just the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us the way we are. And I don't mean to step on any toes when I say this, but sometimes we find our persona rooted in our past hurts. That that victim mentality, that that it gives us a sense of identity and we learn to lean into the emotion of ourselves, the emotion of others, But God says, no, I'm doing a work in your life, and I created you to be more than conquer. Because, you see, as long as we stay fixated on thinking we're a victim, we're going to be a very little help to others. But when we begin to realize, as Paul said, that the things we've suffered, God brings us through us so we can extend help to the same people who have gone through the same problems, we realize it really is better to give than is to get. And so God wants to loose us from that orphan mentality of I need, I need, I need, and realize we're free to give or live, to live out of the love, provision, encouragement, and power of God in our lives and to serve him out of that. Does this make sense? Yeah. Let's stand. Yeah, do you mind just strumming that guitar? Turn to the person next to you and say, it's time. Sounds like the pub's closing, doesn't it? No. (laughs) It's time to get a life. (coughs) Let's just spread out a little bit and let's go before the Lord and see what he has for us. Just hold your hands and your hearts open to the Holy Spirit.
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna. I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. I say over you prophetically, God is not done with you yet. He is not finished. He knows the good work that he's begun within you and I. And he is faithful. He will complete that good work for the glory of his son, Jesus. You are the work of God. You are the artwork of God. The master craftsman, the master painter. In Psalm 149, it says, God beautifies the afflicted ones with salvation. He wants to do such a work of healing and redemption that it's a work of beautification in our lives. He wants you and I to radiate the goodness of Christ Jesus. As we become conformed to the image of Christ, we become, as Paul said, may it no longer be I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I love in the Psalms where David says, those who look to him shall not be disappointed. They shall radiate the goodness of God. Holy Spirit, I ask right now in the name of Jesus, would you just begin to overshadow people right now? I can sense that the goodness of the Lord here in the room right now. He's a good, good God. He's a good, good Father. And even though it may seem like His promises are delayed sometimes in your life, God is right on time. He knows the plans He has for you. He knows the purposes He has for you. Plans to give you hope and future. Plans to prosper your soul. I proclaim over you 3 John verse 2. May you prosper in all things, including your health, even as your soul prospers. May you prosper in all things, not in a few things. May you prosper in all things, including your health, even as your soul prospers. So within your spirit, within your soul right now, just be filled with the Spirit. Invite the Spirit of God to fill you up. Imagine your heart like a balloon that's only maybe filled to quarter capacity. But all of a sudden, the breath of life, Ruach, breathes upon you. And all of a sudden, that balloon becomes twice as big, three-quarters as big. And it grows, and it grows, and it grows.
Holy Spirit, would you just begin to breathe upon people right now? Just take in the Spirit of the Lord. Just take in the Spirit of the Lord. Be filled right now with the power of the Holy Spirit. Be filled in the name of Jesus with the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that even though we're already halfway through 2019, I ask that you would awaken us for your purposes of the last six months of this year and for 2020. Would you awaken us to your purposes for right now? Thank you, God, that you're a now God. You're not just God of the sweet by and by, but you're the God of the dirty now and now. That right now, the harvest fields are ripe. Not just in six months or six weeks, but right now, the harvest fields are ripe. And Father, I ask for a breakthrough in Durham of a harvest in the name of Jesus. And some of the communities represented here by people this afternoon. I ask for a breakthrough of the gospel, Lord God. I ask for a breakthrough, Father, of healings and miracles, signs and wonders in the name of Jesus. Lord, even as we looked last night in Acts 4, 29 and 30, that the early church, when they came into persecution... They prayed, Lord, give us a boldness to communicate Jesus and let your hand move in healings and miracles, signs and wonders in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I pray for divine appointments, divine opportunities for us in this room over the next several months. I pray for a harvest. But also, Lord God, I pray for open doors, for promotion and breakthrough. Lord... Father God, just like the the one uh, woman earlier this afternoon I had the word for about things that have seemed like they're dormant. Now she's coming to a springtime. I pray for all of us here. Would you bring us into a new springtime? Things budding, things blooming. A fruit that we've never even thought of before. Things we've never imagined doing before going places we've never imagined being before. Father, I pray for some people in their jobs, some people in their neighborhoods, some people, Lord, in different walks of life. Would you open doors, Father, that no one can shut? And for some of us, Lord, would you shut doors to the past in a way that nobody can open those? Father, let this be a day of a new springtime for us. Lord, we take hold of Your promises 
And we give glory to you, the one who can do far more than we can think or ask according to your power of your Holy Spirit that works through us. So just hold your hands open, Lord, right now and allow the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon you right now. I speak your release here in this place now in the name of Jesus of the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon you. Just take in the Spirit of the Lord. 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 Increase to you. Increase to you in the name of Jesus. Increase to you. Fire of God be released in this place in the name of Jesus. Fire of God be released in the name of Jesus. Fire of God be released right here in the name. Fire. Fire of God in the name of Jesus. Be released. Fire of God be released in this place in the name of Jesus. Fire of God be released. Fire. Fire. Fire of God. <coughs> fire. <coughs> fire of God in the name of Jesus. Fire of God be released in this place. There's a number particularly of women right now that the power of the Holy Spirit's resting on. In Psalm 68, it says the women who proclaim the glad tidings shall be a great host. The women who proclaim the glad tidings should be a great host. Lord, I bless what you're doing here with some of the ladies here tonight, Lord God. And I pray your spirit would be upon them for prophecy, for evangelism in the name of Jesus. Let your fire be upon them, Lord God. Lord, fill these three young ladies right here, Lord God. Fill them now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. Fire, fire of God in the name of Jesus. Fire, Holy Spirit upon you in the name of Jesus. Fire, fire, fire of God. Just stick in the Holy Spirit. Fire of God in the name of Jesus. Fire of God. Right there. Fire of God upon you right there in the name of Jesus. Fire of God upon you right there in the name of Jesus. Fire of God in the name of Jesus. Fire in the name of Jesus. Fire of God upon you in the name of Jesus. Fire of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. Fire of God in the name of Jesus. Fire of the Holy Spirit upon you in Jesus' name. Fire of God. Increase to you. There's an incredible presence of the Lord here right now. Just take in 
power of the Holy Spirit. Take in the power of the Holy Spirit. Take in the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a number of you that are having difficulty standing because of the power of the Holy Spirit upon you. Or maybe you've got a burning going on in your hands. That's an anointing coming upon you, an increase of anointing for praying for the sick and seeing healings and miracles take place. If you've got a burning going on in your hands or maybe you're having trouble standing or maybe your feet are just kind of moving around upon you, you know, Paul said, let your feet be shod with the preparation of the gospel. But if that's you, if you're, if the fire of God is on you, the power of God, you're having trouble standing or there's a burning, I want you to come to the front right now. And let's just be open before the presence of the Lord. Just come to the front right now and just spread out all across the front. And also, the, the lady, you're near the back. You've got on a blue hoodie. Uh, yeah, come on up here, too. Yeah, you come on up here. Yeah, just all the way. Come on up. Just press your way in a little bit. And if we could have some men help out, stand behind people in case they need assistance. Father, we bless what you're doing here right now. Come, fire of the Holy Spirit, fire of God. I bless hands to be anointed for healings and miracles. Fire of God, fire of God, fire of God in the name of Jesus. Fire, fire of God upon you right there in the name of Jesus. Fire, evangelism in the name of Jesus. Fire of God, fire of God, fire of the Holy Spirit upon you right there in the name of Jesus. Fire. I just just bless this uh, lady right here. I just bless you to see a breakthrough, a new level of evangelism in the name of Jesus and healings and miracles in the name of Jesus. And I sense the Lord would say to you that you're to think about yourself as a warrior of the Lamb. A warrior of the Lamb. A warrior of the Lamb of God. That a warrior breaks through where there's resistance. And you're called to be a breakthrough person. You're called to break through in resistance. And I bless you to see people who are far from God come to Christ. I bless you to share the gospel with people that would never think of walking in the doors of a church. And I bless your hands to be anointed for healings and miracles. I bless your hands to be anointed right now for healings and miracles, signs and wonders in the name of Jesus. 
I bless your feet to be anointed with the gospel right now. Fire of God upon you. Fire of God on you in the name of Jesus. Fire of God. Fire of God upon you right there. Fire. Fire. Fire of God upon you. Fire. Uh, one of the men just comes down. Fire of God. Fire of God on you right there. Fire of God on you right there. Healing, healing upon you in the name of you. Fire. Fire in the name of Jesus. Fire. Fire. Fire of the Holy Spirit upon you in the name of Jesus. Fire of the Holy Spirit upon you in the name of Jesus. Fire. Fire of the Holy Spirit upon you in the name of Jesus. Fire of the Holy Spirit upon you in the name of Jesus. speak a release of healing to you right here. I just bless you in the name of Jesus. I bless your digestive tract. I bless your energy levels. I bless your chemical system to be renewed now in the name of Jesus. bless your chemical system to be healed in Jesus' name. Fire of God upon this woman of God. Fire of Fresh fire in the name of Jesus. Fresh fire bless you for evangelism. And I bless the prophetic gifting within you to be multiplied in the name of Jesus. Fire. Fire and moisture. Jesus' name, and I bless your hip 
right now, this right hip to be restructured and the hip socket to be reformed. Everything come back together perfectly. In Jesus' name, healing to you. Fire of God, I pray in Jesus' name. Despite the weather, there is a springtime coming to Durham. <laughs> Despite the weather, there is a springtime in the spirit coming to Durham. I've been a uh, <clears throat> long-distance runner for 40 years, and I've never run a marathon because I've never had really time to train. I've run some half marathons, but one thing I know about uh, marathon runners that run two or three marathons a year, they, when a new race is approaching, oftentimes they'll buy a new set of shoes. And they'll run in them once or twice, but they've got those shoes specifically for the race coming up. And I sense that for many of you, there's new shoes of the gospel of peace that God has for you to run this race coming up. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 
I wonder if we could all stand and if we could just try out our thanksgiving to God. But as we do that, just lay hold of, of more of God. That as we praise Him, as we focus on Him, so He comes and He pours more of His Spirit into us. God's still doing things down here with people. And it may be with some people you, uh, you haven't yet responded. We don't want you to go home disappointed. Take the opportunity to come and just receive from Him. Thank you, Lord. So let's just raise our voices together. Thank Him for what He's done and lay hold of Him for more. And this is an opportunity for us to be noisy. It's not an opportunity, a time for us to be reserved. But let's cry out to God. Say, Father, we want to thank you for all that you've done. Lord, we give you great praise and glory. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just keep reaching out to him. I believe there are some people here, even in this moment, you are not... You have not got freedom to speak in tongues. You're just tied up with this. And I believe God wants, even now, to give you that release in the gift of tongues because that gift can be the key that unlocks other giftings. So right now, just take that opportunity. It may be one or two words. Just let those words come forth because as you utter those in faith, God will give you more as the wellspring of life from within overflows in that new language that God has for every one of his children. Now is the time to speak forth in that new prayer language God has for you. Thank you, Lord. It's almost there as if we've heard the voice of an angel. Glory. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. 
keep receiving God is not finished with us yet more Lord more Lord come Lord Just allow your prayer to rise with that drum beat. Because what we're involved in here is, if, is, is spiritual warfare. Warfare is not shouting at the devil, but it's praising Jesus. And we're marching as the people of God into the future that he has for us. Lay hold of that now. The future that God has for you begins right now. Thank you, Lord. Come Lord, hallelujah. Be 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 Holy Spirit say to me that there's there's a lady here whose husband who is a businessman or is busy in work at the end of the day has started to use too much in the way of drinking gin or drinking spirits in particular and your concern is that you think he's bordering on being coming alcoholic just get this sense that God wants to change the taste buds of your husband but I would like you to come forward so we can pray for you today, please. So that's you. Please, will you come forward so we can pray with you. Thank you. Please don't miss this opportunity. Come forth. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. 
So many songs Listen to a thousand tongues But there is one That sounds above them all Father's song The Father's love He sung it over me And for eternity is written on my heart Heaven perfect melody The Creator's symphony You are singing over me The Father's song Heaven's perfect mystery King of love has sent for me And now you're singing over me The Father's song I've heard so many songs To listen to a thousand tongues But there is one that sounds above them all Father's song, the Father's love You sung it over me and for eternity Was written on my heart Heaven's perfect melody The Creator's symphony You are singing over me the Father's song Heaven's perfect mystery The King of love had sent for me And now you're singing over me The Father's song Father God, we just so thank you for your presence here today. Lord, thank you that we have met with you. Thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that comes to change our lives. Thank you that you love us, you know just exactly what we need. Lord, and there is more. <laughs> there is more. God, thank you that there is always more. There is always hope with you. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of coming into your presence, for being so well fed. Lord God, we pray your blessing on us all now as we, go, as we go home. But Father, I pray that our ears would be open to more of what you want to say to us in the coming days. We bless you, Lord, and give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, folks, we're breaking there. We meet 10.30 here tomorrow with Mark.
1030 Chesley Street, without Mark, but with the Spirit. <laughs> and then tomorrow evening, 6.30, for our final session with Mark of this year. Have a great evening. Thank you. Tomorrow evening, we are focusing on healing. So if you have any contacts you want to bring along, just bring them and let's look to God for a breakthrough in healing.